Hello, if you are a new viewer starting here, you are in for a rude awakening because this is the finale. This is the final part of Skyheart. It is split up into parts as it, you know, is a full length book and uploading eight to nine hours of audio just felt like too much at once. So, you know, it was a lot. Anyway, so I split it off into hour parts and this is the final hour of Skyheart. This is the very end of the book. And I'd like to thank you so much for sticking with me this entire time and just thank you so much so for the final time i'm going to quickly recap last week's part so spoilers ahead and by ahead i mean right now buckle in because this is a little bit of a long recap john leaves susan in charge of the darkhold because him and the crew of the skyheart take off and fly across the entire ocean to reach great lake city but upon arriving they find that they're almost too late, as an enemy boat already is opening fire on them before they even reach the city, so the crew boards the ship to defend any future airships heading towards Great Lake City. On the ship, Liam finds some shocking news. The battle plans to invade Olympus, the capital of Earhart itself. After barely escaping that ship, Liam and John head to Great Lake City proper to find that hounds have already entered the city but that the city's defenses are holding, and the people are fighting back. And so, the crew of the Skyheart starts helping them fight back. Meanwhile, Liam boards one of the enemy barges that dropped off the hounds, as he thinks he heard people. And he did. On board the barges, to his shock, he finds his sister. So, he returns back to the capital building of GLC, looking for John. But John has gone to a farmhouse to defend a small family. Liam goes there, and then him, John, and Emily return back to the capital, where they board the Skyheart, and Liam tells him the shocking news about Olympus. So John immediately turns the Skyheart and heads straight for Olympus. And that is where this final part begins. Liam, January 30th. I took Thord from the armory and the strips of cloth, bringing them to the cargo bay. It was freezing everywhere on the ship. Frost had even formed around the bay door. I carefully unsheathed my sword and wrapped it in the cloth, the same I had done every morning on board. But John didn't come. I waited ten minutes, then ten more. He finally walked in, looking exhausted, which I had never seen before. For the first time, I felt unease rise in my chest. We fought, but John was almost sloppy. I still never even came close to touching him, but his mind was clearly elsewhere. Finally, he called it early. He stepped over to the cargo bay door, grabbed the handle at the bottom, and threw it open. He sat down, looking at the endless clouds. I joined him. Myself and John sat there, his legs crossed, mine dangling at the cargo bay door. So, will you be leaving the ship? I sighed. I knew what he was asking. Now that I had my sister back, what was I going to do? I stared out into the endless white of the clouds. We flew over. 
I'm leaving her at the capital. With Sophia, if she'll take her after what I pulled. Of course, after we saved the city. It had been what had kept me awake during the night. I looked over at John. He looked surprised. You really think you're going to be able to leave her? After everything? You thought she was dead. Now here she is, and you're going to abandon her. I put my head into my hands. Yes, I hated myself. She deserved more than I can ever give her. She doesn't need me anymore. Without me, she can move on, grow up in the city. All I'll ever be is a reminder of everything she's lost. She can have something she could never have with me. John looked at me questioningly. A happy life, I replied. But you are still her brother. She can be happy with you there. I shook my head. She can't be. I'll drag her down, because I will always have my head in the sky. If I stay, then what? I age out and do something that I hate to find a way to provide for her, or leave her at the orphanage, which is what I'd have to do. I'll be working every day, doing something that I can't stand, all the while hating myself. I'd rather she hates me and becomes happy than just learn to be disgusted with me. I've thought about every scenario in my head, played them again and again. I can't be what she needs. After our parents died, I took care of her, and she got... I paused and took a deep breath before finishing my thought. It almost got her killed. That was my fault. She needs a mom, a dad, good friends, and safety. Something I can't give her. I felt John's hand on my shoulder. It's okay, boy. I understand. He removed his hand, and we sat there. I stared at the clouds. John got up. I didn't. I have things I must attend to. Then, without another word from either of us, he left. I stayed put, letting my eyes blur as I watched the endless white. It was so flat, it almost looked like a void. Years of defending her, losing her. Now was I really going to let her go? I thought about it for hours the night before, and yet still. Ever since she was born, there were few moments she was out of my parents' sight. After they died, she was always within calling distance. Any further sent panic through me. Then, just like that, in an instant, she was gone. She had been all I had. And then, life had nothing for me. I had lost her. But now, she wasn't even a part of the great new life I had. I felt so ashamed. She had disappeared, and my life has improved vastly. The girl upstairs right now, I barely recognized. Even thinking of all of this made me a monster. Am I doing it for her? Or myself? I was a bad person. I had lost her once, and now only wanted her gone. I was a monster. But I loved her. She was my world. But what I had said to John hadn't all been a lie. I couldn't provide for her anymore. She didn't need a protector anymore. She needed a family. But I don't think I can give her that. I started crying. I don't know why. I had no reasons. No right to. I had almost died several times in the last month. I had fought and killed other humans. Something I had never done before. Never wanted. And yet here I was. There was so much blood on my hands. 
Yet I wasn't crying for them. I was crying for myself. And Emily. A different hand rested on my shoulder. It was a small, gentle hand. I looked up. It was Emily. She sat down. Tears started swelling in her eyes as well. You're not who I remember, she told me. The exact same thing I had been thinking in reverse. But she had said it. Those five words broke me. She was crying now, and we held each other. At some point I stopped crying, and she was no longer holding me. I held her, supported her, I clutched her tighter. I would not fail her again. She sobbed into my arms. She choked out, I want it back, and cried harder. I think I understood. Despite the fear, the lack of anything, and struggling to survive, we had always had each other. Now, even that had been stripped away. Even just weeks apart had made us strangers. My life, her life, had all but fallen away, resembling nothing of what they had once been. Liam? Yes. I've done things, bad things. Can you still love me? I always will, no matter what. That's family. I started crying again. I couldn't, though. I wouldn't. I just kept hold of her, with all of my willpower. I stopped crying, pushing the pain away. From behind me, I heard a voice say, Don't you goddamn dare. To the speaker's credit, it was a very loud whisper. I'm back now, okay? The door clicked softly behind me. Thanks. We stayed there for a little while longer. She stopped crying, and eventually, even though I didn't want her to go, she stood up. I followed suit. I'm going to go find Aspen. She's been nice to me. Then, just like that, she started walking away. Less than a month apart, and she seemingly had gone from nine to thirty. Tired, time weighing her down. What had happened to her? She was held captive by the same people that ran the Darkhold. If the horror and despair that I had seen on the faces of those held captive was anything like what she had been through, it was indescribable. I had failed her. She looked back at me, right before she walked out. Now I just needed to not fail her again. And she was gone. I closed my eyes, not exactly praying, but not not praying. God, please help me. Show me the way. Then I headed into the galley. We had gone far during the night. We had favorable winds, but we still had about a full day till we reached Olympus. Just for something to do, I walked over and looked at the schedule. I had the next gondola shift. I looked over at the clock on the opposite wall. I still had about an hour. I went over and sat down at the same table with Nathan and James, just to listen to them. So, what do you think is going to be next for a GLC? James took a long drink from his cup. I don't know. The entire city might have to be abandoned. What? Why? Nathan nearly yelled. Just think about it, Nathan. Even though the Air Forces were there, GLC survived by its isolation. But who knows? But then he immediately corrected himself. Then again, it only existed because of the dedication of those who built it and protected it after the fall. Nathan looked over at me. 
What do you think, Liam? I don't know. I think you should be more worried about us. They laughed and continued talking. Myself and Emily didn't speak much the rest of the day. I spent the rest of the morning and late into the afternoon in the gondola, adjusting our course little by little. With the wind, Reed had tried to stop me, but I had convinced him otherwise. Emily was somewhere else the entire afternoon. We sat together at dinner, but didn't say a word. I played a game of chess with Aspen as Emily watched. Finally, as it was well into the night, we headed back to my room. Emily crawled back up into bed. I headed down the hall and changed into cleaner clothes, then went in. She breathed softly. I could tell she was fake sleeping and actually was still awake. I didn't disturb her. I laid down, my head still too full of thoughts to sleep. I hadn't made up my mind. I had a place here, but she needed a home. But what was right? Sleep finally overtook me. January 31st. I sat up and looked over to the window. It was still pitch black outside. I looked over at the small clock. It was still definitely the middle of the night. Then the same sound that had probably woken me up caused me to jump to my feet. Emily gasped again, almost as if she was drowning. I hopped onto my own bed, leaning and holding onto the upper bunk, so I was looking her in the eyes. They were closed. Wake up. It's... She woke up and immediately backhanded me, hard. My feet slipped back. I was shocked. I tried to swing into my bed instead of crashing into the wall and the floor. It mostly worked, but my head thudded into the edge, and I rolled out of my bed and on the floor with a dull thud. She hopped off the bed. Liam, I'm so sorry. No, it's my fault. I shouldn't have startled you like that. Her eyes still had a haunted look in them. Are you okay? Did I hurt you? I sat up, but I didn't stand, dusting myself off. No, I'm fine. How about you? She mumbled. The engines. Only since the first day had I paid attention to the sound of the engines. I had only ever noticed them when something was wrong with them. What about the engines? She sat down right next to me, leaning against the wall, placing feet on the cupboard door beneath my bed. What happened after that day? I just around at the ship. I think you can guess what happened to me, but I have no idea what happened to you, what you've been through, what you've seen. Her eyes were already damp, but she started talking. They dragged me into an airship, threw me in the hold with a lot of other people. There were so many people crammed in. We were right by the engines. They were so loud. We were there for three days. No food. Barely any water. It felt like it would never end. It felt like it could never get worse. I thought it was hell. I was wrong. Sometimes we'd stop, and they would add more people. Until finally, we landed. It was night, and these had these harsh electric lights set up. I breathed fresh air for the first time in so long. There were a bunch of other airships there, each one of them filled with people. They herded us like animals, into barges. For only ten minutes I got to feel the air on my face. I thought of you then. They pushed us into the underneath of the barges. They beat the slow ones. Then they locked it. Dozens of us in there. It was wet, cold, and so dark 
I was surrounded by other people, but it was so lonely. I don't think we were there for more than an hour, but it felt like years. I knew you were dead. I knew it. I lost hope. I didn't think it could get worse. It got worse. I sat there, between overflowing anger and the deepest sadness I had ever felt. I wanted to say something, do something, help her, burn those responsible in hell. But there was nothing I could do but listen. She kept going. We could hear the hounds first, those blood-chilling howls, screams, and roars. Thousands of them. The only reason I am alive is luck, and that's it. Our boat was selected. You could hear the screams of the people and hounds from the other boats. But us? Silence. I was curled up against a wall. The boat set sail, the sound of the motors echoing all along the metal walls. It felt like it still ringing in my ears. The sun came up. The boat was filled with small holes. The sun shone in. At first, I was glad. But the heat grew unbearable. The smell horrible. Sometime around midday, a small group of people were taken. They never came back. A few days passed. The same ritual. Yet still, in the middle of that hell, the adults, at least most of them, said that the kids would live. They did their best. They kept every single one of us from being taken. One woman, when I was crying alone, slapped me and told me to be brave. From that day on, I swore no one or thing would make me scared again. Our ship broke apart from the rest, and the few hounds you could hear disappeared, and then half of us were taken. The people who took them laughed and said other ships needed more supplies. More and more kept getting taken. Finally, it was just the kids left. That afternoon, we slammed into the shore. A little while later, I started hearing the cannons. It blew open the door. The last guard was trying to run. I did what I had to. The ship started thinking. Then I saw you. She laid her head in my lap, weeping silently. I didn't know what to say. So all I said was, you're going to be safe now. And I love you. I kept repeating that last over and over again, whispering at first, and then just in my own head. The weeping turned into soft breathing. She had actually fallen asleep. That very familiar sound of her breathing made me feel more relaxed. I pulled the blanket off my bed, covering the both of us as best I could, then leaned my head against the wall. Soon enough, I dozed off too. John, January 31st. I leaned on the map table. Other airships filled the sky now. The capital was in sight. It was hard to believe that anyone could threaten Olympus. The city hovered hundreds of feet off the ground, suspended by technology no one could possibly comprehend now. It was the literal heart of Earhart. Maybe our forces had been spread thin, but not thin enough to have the capital be left undefended. Not only that, but it sat on an island, in one of the most isolated parts of the world, surrounded by an entire city on the ground. Olympus could not be taken, 
I had a bad feeling about the whole thing. The letters made no sense. As a matter of fact, all of the documents were extremely vague. The only thing that had anything specific was the landing plan for the island. Even that didn't make sense. People lived on the ground. The entire main headquarters and training ground for Earhart were on the ground. Constant patrols day and night. No ships could sneak past without being sunk. No, attacking Olympus was suicidal. And yet, two of the documents referred to a man of some importance. Only two of the probably three dozen of them. But all in code words like high power, cloak, dagger. I couldn't make anything out of it. And now, now it was far too late to do anything else. Olympus was on the horizon. Reed slid into the gondola. He walked up to the helm. It never gets old, does it? He looked back at me. No. I stared blankly at the city. Something was wrong. But what was it? Myself and Reed carefully led the skyhard into port. I heard the ropes and hooks connecting. I left the gondola and summoned the crew to the galley. We sat on the benches, waiting. Unfortunately, no leave this trip. They groaned. The dread I felt had only grown stronger as we came into port. I needed them here, just in case. Jocelyn is gone, and she shall be remembered, Hugo. We still need another engineer. So, while we are in the city, please look for one and bring them to me. Kellen, go with him. Nathan, Aspen, Zoe, have the dock workers look over the engines and resupply. Yes, sir. I turned to Liam. Liam, are you sure? He almost whispered. Yes, sir. All right. Liam, Emily, Reed, come with me. The sooner everything can be done, the better. Dismissed. I walked to Reed. Grab your sword. I don't want anyone stopping us on our trip. I then went and fetched my own sword and headed into the cargo bay. Emily and Liam waited there. I slid open the door. The dockhand slid the gangplank. Reed and myself latched it into place on the floor. We walked out and started through the city. We brushed through the crowd. As always, heads turned, but we were already past them before anyone said anything. Instead of taking the side streets, we just headed straight for the central tower. That is, until we were two blocks away and turned. I looked back at Liam and Emily. Liam looked concerned. Emily, on the other hand, stared in amazement. We walked across the less busy side streets until we reached a certain familiar four-story building. I stopped and looked back at Liam. Do you know how to get back to the Sky Heart? He looked behind them, then looked back at me, with a slightly panicked look in his eyes. Uh, I'll come back for you. Thank you. Reed, come with me. We walked away. I heard Emily say to Liam, what is this place? We continued on. I looked up. The sky was gray. It started lightly snowing. We hurried on to the central tower. I stopped just outside the doors and looked up. Habit made me do so. It flew hundreds of feet higher than anything else on this floating city. I pushed open the double doors and stepped in. Reed followed suit. The entry hall was emptier than I had ever seen it. The receptionists were still at their desks. But where there had probably been three dozen, now there were only ten or so. I walked up to one, a woman, and I noticed something strange. 
She was not a citizen employed here, as had always been the custom. She was an Earhart soldier, sword hanging on hip. Cap Captain Perishing. She looked flustered. All of a sudden, everyone else did too. What can I do for you? This was getting much more concerning. But after all the loss, extra security shouldn't be expected, right? This should be all perfectly normal. I need to see the Prime Minister immediately. I glanced behind me. Reed's eyes scanned the room, profiling lit. Glad to see I wasn't the only one set on edge. She picked up the phone and switched the wires, sending it up to the high office. She nodded several times. Yes, of course. You two can go right on ahead. We got into the elevator. The door was closed. I went to tap on the screen, but a message read, Please wait for desk input. The elevator beeped and sounded out. Floor 100. We started flying up. I know the damage we've sustained is heavy, but this, said Reed. I looked over to him. He does not feel like it would be reassuring to the public. We reached the top floor moments later. The PM's receptionist stood just outside the door. He says to go in immediately. Now I have to go. He pushed between us, nearly dropping a large folder. He went and stood at the back of the elevator. We walked out and passed two guards on either side. The doors clicked behind us. I looked around. There was no one but us and six guards, two on each door, one on each wall. I strolled across the rich carpet, towards the high, gold-encrusted double doors. One of the guards stepped in front of me. Sorry, sirs. No weapons allowed. I looked him in the eyes and grinned as I saw a bead of sweat run down his forehead. Then take it from me. I had no reason to feel anxious, yet something was wrong. I would not willingly give up my only protection. He swallowed, then looked over to his comrades. None of them made eye contact or even moved their heads. He stepped back from the door. Sorry, Captain. Go ahead. I stepped past him and opened the door. Reed made to follow. They blocked him. The same guard looked back at me. Sorry, Captain. The PM made it very clear. He wanted to see only you, in private, when you arrived. I could hear the chiming of alarm bells in my head. Reed waved his hand. It will be fine, Captain. He stepped back and walked over to a chair. With one last glance at him, I pushed open one of the doors and stepped in. It was unusually dark inside the office. No lights had been turned on. Only the light from the high windows lit the room but you couldn't make out anything from the windows as a gray cloud was passing around the tower. Charles stood, looking out the window. He was nothing but a shadowy figure. John! Yes, Charles. He sighed and turned around. Lock the doors, please. I did as he asked and turned back to him. He was holding a glass in his hand. He drained it as he walked towards his mighty desk in the middle of the room. He stood over his desk. Sit. No, there's something important I need to. He cut me off. After the Congress and the Parliament were formed, and I was elected PM, you kept sticking around. Charles, we don't have time for anecdotes. I believe he cut me off again. I thought I was going to have to deal with you. My anger was instantly replaced with confusion. What was going on here? 
He continued talking. Then you left on your fool's errand. You can imagine my anger and my surprise when you actually succeeded. Why, John, couldn't you leave it well enough alone? Something clicked. The two letters referred to someone in a position of power, someone with the ability to disable Earhart and Olympus. Charles, not you. I placed my hand on my sword, actually taking a step back. He smiled. Oh, John, don't you find it strange that you knew where the Darkhold was? That you survived Northern Tyr unlike so many others? That you just happened to be at Valley? That you showed up just in time at GLC? Isn't that strange? He put down his glass. I think it's too convenient. Many others do as well. I think you're a traitor, John. I didn't tell the name of the Darkhold to anyone. He grimaced a cruel grin. When I kill you, your very memory will be a disgrace. John Perishing, Black Hand Traitor. My mind was reeling. Charles, a man I had known for years, had betrayed not only myself, but the nation, Earhart, and humanity itself. I had to take him into custody. My secretary is bringing the proof of your traitorous actions to the captain of the guard as we speak. Mr. Perishing, especially since you tried to kill me. I heard a slight rasping of wood and metal against wood. What, Charles, surrender. This doesn't have to get violent. He smiled again. John, I've always hated you, he said as he pulled the pistol out from under his desk. It hadn't even cleared the top of the desk. I was leaping to the side and rolling. A split second later, the concoffing boom of a flintlock pistol echoed throughout the room. Liam. We stood outside. I looked back at John and Reed walking away from us. Liam, what is this place? One last glance over. I'll tell you once we're inside. I opened the first door and walked in. I knocked at the second and waited. It didn't take long. The door opened. It wasn't Sophia who waited, but Maryland. Liam! She gave me a big hug. I shrugged back. Is Sophia here? She shook her head. No, but she'll be back soon. Why don't you come in for some tea, eh? And tell me who this lovely young lady is. She beckoned us inside. With one last glance and one last questioning look, I stepped inside. She gestured us to sit at the table and asked about tea. I didn't hear a single word. My brain just kept taking over the same thought. Am I really going to do this? I didn't actually process a single word till Emily tapped me on the shoulder. Are you okay, brother? Hmm? Marilyn sat down and pushed two cups of tea across. So your sister, then? But, Liam boy, you look like you've seen a ghost. No, I'm fine. When is Sophia supposed to be back? Oh, any time now. You gave us quite a fright when you ran away like that. Sophia even said, I'm never doing it again. John, never. Followed by some choice expletives. Not in front of the children, of course. I have no idea what she was talking about. The younger ones were very excited about the whole thing. She continued on rambling, and my focus slipped away. I looked over at Emily. 
She took a long drink from the cup and smiled. She was listening to Marilyn with genuine enjoyment, while at the same time gazing around at this place in wonder. This is what is best for her, right? Finally, Marilyn stopped, got up, and refilled Emily's tea. I had barely drunk from mine. As she was sitting back down, she asked, So, why did you run off, Liam? I looked at her, then back at Emily, considering my answer probably far more intently than she had intended. To make sure nothing like what happened to me and what I had thought had happened to my sister from happening ever again. At that moment, I realized my decision was still the same. I could still help stop what had happened to her from ever happening again, even if it wasn't what I had thought at the time. Interesting. So why are the two of ya here? I mean, they looked over at me, curious to know the answer as well. I couldn't keep my gaze. Maryland, why don't you explain what this place is? Maryland looked a little confused. All right, of course. She looked over at Emily. Well, the cold hard truth of it is, this is an orphanage for the children of Earhart soldiers. It's why we get more money per child from the nation than the others. She started rambling on again. But I looked at Emily. I don't think she heard a single word past orphanage. Marilyn kept talking. After a little while, I glanced over to Emily again. She looked lost in thought. Liam? Marilyn didn't stop talking. Are you hoping they'll let us stay here? I shook my head. No. At that moment, Sophia came in, from one of the back hallways. You would not believe the madhouse this city has become. Soldiers everywhere. She stopped abruptly. Ah, Liam. I see you passed perishing little test. She said the last bit, as she scanned my Earhart coat. Yes, I did. She held a baby in each arm. Can I talk to you in private? Of course, son. Come with me. To put the babies down. Emily, stay here with Maryland. I've heard the city has a lot going on. I'm sure Maryland would love to tell you. Maryland sounded very excited as she began explaining the city to Emily as I followed Sophia down the other hallway. She walked past several more doors until she pushed open one. Once inside, she kicked the door shut again with her foot. Rock the child. She wasn't asking as she pushed one of the babies into my arms. It had been since Emily was a baby herself since I had held a child. I started jiggling it gingerly. Sophia, I'm so sorry for the stunt I pulled. She said nothing, just stared me down. That's it. I, her stern face broke, and she smiled. No, John has pulled the same stunt before. He did it with calendars, as a matter of fact, eight years ago. Eighteen, I... The next time I saw him, he had flowers and more saris than the stars. Now, what can I do for you? I looked down at the baby. What's its name? She sighed. Girls on the right, boys on the left. So it's a she, not an it. Her name is Janet. But that's far too official, so it's Jenny. This if Abamine. Now, I know you came here for more than just pleasantries. So what do you want? Although... I'm guessing I already know that, too. I looked down at the baby girl. She was so tiny. So precious. How old is she? Sophia rolled her eyes. Under a year. More than six months. Stop deflecting. 
Jenny closed her eyes and yawned. I think she's sleeping. Good. Keep rocking. I don't want to be back in here in a minute. I kept rocking her. Sophia did the same, but looked at me expectantly. Sophia, I know I have no right, but can you take care of your sister? How, how did you know? Three decades I have been running a home for orphans. First in my own country, then in the capital for the orphans of our soldiers. You're too young to have a child that old. However, asking to leave her is eating you up. Too much for her just to be any other orphan. And yes, I will take her. She continued at my still shocked look. Look here, Liam. You could have been the darkness himself, dropping off the child, and I still would have taken her. Second, I've known John, and especially his crew, long enough to know. I know if you were a regular airhouse soldier, you would be a decorated war heroes. But you fools, always just doing your duty. Thank you, that's very kind. You're welcome. Now help me put these babies, and we'll go talk to her together. Between me and you, I don't think she's going to handle it well. I thanked her again. Then we stood there for a little while, holding the babies. They both fell asleep. Then I helped her put them down for their morning nap. I stepped quietly out of their room. Sophia followed, shutting the door silently behind her. Now, let's go talk to the poor girl. What's her name? Emily. The peace the babies had granted me was fading with each step. The dread grew to replace it, but I knew what I had to say. But the thing I wondered now was, is it going to break me? But far more importantly, is it going to break her? We walked back into the kitchen. Marilyn still happily chatting away. Emily looked relieved to see me. I stood right next to her. Sophia crossed the table and sat down by Marilyn, who had issued a greeting. Marilyn? Yes, madam, she said very happily. There's always things that must be done. The work never ends, does it? Can you please go do the little one's laundry? It must be dry by now. Marilyn stood up, looking quite disappointed but curtsied. Of course, Sophia. Then she left the room. Now, Emily, your brother has something he needs to tell you. I didn't sit down. With one last deep breath, I pushed away all of my emotions. I can't stay. I couldn't provide for her. I was no longer what she needed. Emily, I need to tell you why I brought you here. I saw the sudden fear in her face begin to grow. I could almost see the puzzle pieces fitting into their place for her. Liam, you wouldn't. I wouldn't break eye contact. I would not fail her in this. I need to go. And where I'm going, it's too dangerous. No. She jumped to her feet and kicked back the chair. Emily, I can't be what you need. No, it's, it's not true. She walked up to me and hit me in the chest. I barely even felt it. It felt like my vision was fading black. I was at the end of a long tunnel. She was crying. I would not. She started hitting me harder. I grabbed her by the shoulders. Emily, we survive. We go on. But I can't go with you. And you can't come with me. She was weeping uncontrollably now. She just collapsed into my arms. 
and I held her. Don't leave me. I already had. The path she needed to walk was here. She was too young to see it. I was not old enough to explain it. On the ground, with good people that would support her, that I knew she needed. I was sure of that now. I wasn't sure what my path entailed now, just that she couldn't and shouldn't follow it, just as I couldn't and shouldn't hers. I will always love you. She still cried, but I just stood there and held her. I wouldn't leave her, not like this. The door burst open, and I heard a man shout, but registered nothing. John. I was still alive. I rolled to my feet, pulling my sword in the same motion. Charles tossed the now empty pistol aside. I saw him swear. Then he drew a sword out from his desk. I charged at him. With a massive effort, he kicked over the entire desk in front of me. I hopped over it, kicking him in the shoulder. As I did so, he stumbled back. Then, our swords met. Sparks flew everywhere. We held blades locked. John, you fool. I twisted my blade, trying to pull him away. He twisted away. I jumped forward, slashing with all my strength. He didn't have a good enough grip. He didn't lose the sword, but it got knocked down to his side. I twisted my blade and slashed up. It cut him across the chest. I had to jump back to avoid his blade. He breathed heavier than I did. He had always been a poor swordsman. It's always murder for you, isn't it, us or them? Hey, John. I looked at his blonde and saw something I hadn't expected. It was almost black. It can be true. Win. Rumors. Vague rumors. Then I had seen that man. But that had been just like the first time. Not like this. This was supposed to be impossible. I hadn't even ever dared to believe that it could be something like this. It had to be impossible. We continued to stand a few feet apart. He looked down at himself and actually laughed. When were my eyes opened, my mind and body are enhanced by he who gives life. In the beginning of the war, but not since then, at least until a few weeks ago, it was said that the black blood that made the darkness himself, could infect those he chose, and he could influence their thoughts, make them addicts to his orders. But I had dismissed it as hearsay. I had seen it twice with my own eyes. The first it just killed him slowly like an infection. It had not controlled his actions in the slightest. I heard a loud bang on the office doors. He glanced over. I knocked his sword aside and drove my sword up and into his shoulder, and I kicked him in the chest. He went flying backwards, far past the desk. He stumbled back to his feet, switching hands for his swords. My ship was brought down by him over Europe on a trip of mine. I advanced forward. I thought he was going to kill me. Instead, he gave me sight, purpose beyond measure. I am God in flesh. He swiped at me. I blocked it. We traded blows back and forth. He was slow and sloppy. I caught him in the wrist. His sword dropped. I swept out his legs, and with my free hand, grabbed him by the throat and threw him as hard as I could. 
He slid across the floor. I walked to him. He tried to get to his feet. I planted my foot in the middle of his chest and drove him back to the ground. I pointed my sword to his throat. Myself and the rest of the general staff might have something we need to talk about then. He opened his mouth to speak, but blood came pouring out. No. I looked into his eyes. They were suddenly bloodshot. I could faintly smell burning flesh. The black blood was killing itself, and him along with it. The skin on his neck and face almost looked inflamed, as if they were burning. The doors burst open. Murderer! The guards came rushing at me. As soon as the doors were open, I realized I was standing over the dead Prime Minister. My sword pointed at his throat. No, I didn't. It was too late. The first two were almost on me. I smacked one with the flat of my blade. The other I swept out his legs and elbowed him in the face at the same time. I would not kill these guards. Maybe they were traitors too, but if they weren't, then I was no better than that which I fought. The second set of soldiers arrived just behind the first, one not even trying to use her sword, nailed me in the face with her fists. Instead of falling back, I fell forward, dropping to one knee and yanking out her leg. Sending her toppling into the other guard, I jumped over them, tucking and rolling to my feet. The fifth guard was right in front of me. Then he fell into my arms, and I actually had to catch him. I dropped my sword, too. I saw another sword thunk to the ground. The sixth guard was already down. Reed came forward and fetched his sword. He had nailed the guard from across the room with the hilt of his sword. The two behind us had almost regained their feet. John, I think we're in it now. Now that was an understatement. I picked back up my sword. What now, Captain? The two guards got up and approached more cautiously. One of them had lost their sword. He charged at me. I sidestepped. Using his own momentum, I flung him into the wall. He crumbled. I looked over to Reed. He disarmed his opponent, who was unconscious on the floor. He came back over. What's next, Captain? Because I have a feeling the next groups also won't be in a listening mood. I looked around the room. Dusk flipped, a dead body, six soldiers on the ground unconscious. Barricade the door. We both grabbed the massive desk and dragged it in front of the door. Then we locked the side doors. You don't plan on having the two of us fight the entire Earhart army, do you? No. I looked to the ceiling. We're going up. You looked at me. I walked across the office, into one of the massive bookcases. John, we're on the hundredth floor of a hundred-story building. I swept the books off the shelf. Wrong one. Wrong read on both accounts. There's a lot of sub-levels going deep into the mechanism that keeps the city suspended in the air. I swept off another shelf of books to the floor. There it was, the button I had found all those years ago. I clicked it. The bookshelf swung open, revealing a set of stairs. I started up them. Reed quickly followed. Just before the bookshelf closed behind us, I heard banging on the door. We ascended the stairs into the very spire that made the top of the building. It was a cramped room, steel beams leading far upwards, the four walls angled to make it a steep pyramid. In the center of the room, 
said a strange contraption, with four more, even stranger ones on it. I pulled the lever on the wall. The mechanical noise started whining, and four pieces of the wall split open to the air. The wind whistled in. What is this place? The fire escape. We walked up to one of the contraptions. It was shaped like an airplane, except very small, and with large metal tanks attached just under the tail wings. The entire thing was open, one seat in the front, just a few feet from the very small propeller, then enough space for six people in three rows. I hopped into the driver's seat. The only controls were the turbine, flaps, and tail, plus the celium switch. John, have you ever flown one of these before? Once. I primed the engines. When we level out, we jump, understand? Reaching out in the back, just behind me. No. No, I don't. Good. I reached down to the lever between the wall and my seat, pulling it. The machine that the makeshift plane sat on extended forward, the mechanical arm extending us outside the hole. We sat on a thin metal arm outside the central tower, then it started angling the nose downward. I heard another set of clicking from behind us, a loud beep, beep. I put one hand on the control wheel and the other on the celium mechanism. Beep! We dropped like a stone. I pulled up on the wheel to angle the plane a little way from the tower. The wind whipped into my face. I could barely see, but the ground was coming up fast. I slammed on the engine button, flipped the celium switch. There was no valve. It was all or nothing. Bags under the wings extended with a snap. I grabbed the wheel and yanked up hard. We shot inches past the six-story buildings and leveled out, right over the five-story buildings. Right as the plane leveled out, I jumped. I prayed Reed had done the same. I tucked and rolled to break my fall. I rolled and hit the roof hard and kept rolling. Finally, I came to a stop. I was definitely dizzy now. I stood up and the world spun around me. Thankfully, we had landed on a building with a mostly flat roof. I looked towards the craft. It still shot over the city at a level flight. I looked around and saw Reed getting to his feet on the other side of the building. I walked slowly over to him. He strained to his feet. Damn it, John. Are you alright? He looked down at himself and brushed off the dirt. Physically. Good. Then let's get off this roof. Over on this side, there was a regular fire escape. My mind was reeling. But the one thing I knew for sure is that we could not stay in Olympus. We climbed down into the deserted back alley. Now what, John? Leaving in the way we had just about cemented the fact we were guilty into everyone's mind. I couldn't think of a way to prove my innocence. The man who had exposed me was now dead, seemingly by my hand. So, as bad as it would seem, I had to run and I didn't know when I could stop running. We need to run. Go get the crew and the Skyheart ready. Defender, do whatever you see fit. Be ready to take off as soon as we arrive. He looked very grave. You'll have to explain what happened later. Then he left immediately, not running, just walking at a brisk pace, as if he was someone on very important business. I still stood in the alley. I pulled off my coat and held it in my hands. The coat meant nothing to me. 
but what it represented meant everything to me. With one sigh of regret, I tossed it into the garbage. It felt like in one motion, letting go of everything I'd believed in for two decades. However, I would be far too noticeable wearing it. I untucked my shirt and boots, took grime from the alley floor, and smeared into my hair on my shirt and pants. I took off my belt, which thankfully still had my sword on it, unwrapped the rope that encircled the sheath, and used the belt and the rope, tied it from my shoulder to my hip, so the blade rested on my back. I even pulled an empty bottle of booze from the garbage. I had to get Liam, and today I couldn't get recognized. I walked into the main street, for all intents and purposes, looking like just another refugee, who had a little too much to drink at the pub last night. I started at a brisk pace towards the orphanage. Not a single head turned. No one gave me a second look. Just another face in the crowd. I made it all the way to the orphanage, without a single incident. I pushed open the door, and stepped in, and then slammed the second door on accident. Liam. He stood in the center of the room, holding his sister. We need to go. He looked over at me, then let go of his sister. John. Sophia stood up. What the hell happened to you? I stepped deeper into the room. Sophia, this has nothing to do with you, and would only put you in more danger. I looked at Liam. I hadn't seen a man more torn. Liam, I'm sorry. You are no one. No one knows your name or your face. You can come with me, and I'm sure Sophia will keep Emily safe. I looked over to her. Sophia nodded firmly. Always. Or you can stay here, live a peaceful life. The attack on Olympus was fake. It was only a ploy by the Black Hand. Either way, you need to decide right now. He looked from me to the girl. He took her hand. I love you. Goodbye. Then he let go, picked up his sword, and swung it onto his back, and walked towards the door, not looking back. No. The girl tried to run forward. Not Delta, said Sophia, as she grabbed the girl, pulling her back. Liam walked out the door. The girl was still screaming. I looked to the door, then to the girl. I'm sorry, but know that he's doing this for you. The pain will fade. You haven't lost him. With that, I turned and ran out of the building. Liam waited outside, face stern. What's going on? Walk and I'll explain on the way. We walked as fast as we could without looking suspicious. The Prime Minister was a traitor. We fought and he died. Or it suicided. But it looks like it was my fault. The entirety of Earhart are or will be after me. What? Shh, just walk. Somehow, by some kind of miracle, we walked through the entire city without a single accident. But when we reached the dock that the Skyheart sat at, our luck ran out and we saw an unwelcome sight. Probably two dozen Earhart soldiers stood at the end of the pier, just behind the small gate. They were held at bay by Zoe and Callan, both of whom were arguing profusely with the commander. I heard the commander shout, I have orders! Zinzo replied in equal volume, I don't care! I could feel the tension rising. This was going to break into a fight very soon. 
especially as you could clearly see the Skyheart turbines starting to spin. I had to distract them. I needed a little bit more time, and the Skyheart would be ready. Soldiers. Without fail, every single one of them turned and looked at me. Several of them shouted, The captain! Take him! Hold! John perishing? They reshuffled into their ranks, with swords drawn, walking the Skyheart. The commander pushed her way forward. Captain, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to take you in. I drew my sword. I can't allow you to do that. But I implore you. I pointed with the tip of my sword at the massive tower far behind us. I helped build this nation. I created Earhart, not based on principles that made sense, especially not in this mad world we live in, but on ones that myself and those with me knew were right. What could possibly make me just throw away everything I've fought for? My friends, my crew, and those who trusted me enough that they died for that dream. That dream is still worth dying for. I am willing to die for that dream today. I pointed my swords at the soldiers blocking my path. So ask yourselves, are you going to help save this nation that we built? Or are you going to help the darkness end it? Because I am willing to die today for this dream of this nation. The commander looked at me, then turned her back to me and backed away from her soldiers till she was standing by me. I'm with you, Captain. I spoke again. Drop your weapons and step aside if you know what the right thing to do is. None of them made a move. Then the one in front dropped his sword and stepped back. Then the second and then the third. Then every single one of them dropped their swords and stepped back. We walked through them. Zoe and Callan waited, with their swords drawn. Put it away. The engines of the Skyheart revved up. I looked behind me. The troops still stood there awkwardly. The commander still stood at my side. Sir, you're why I joined. It would be my greatest honor if you let me fly with you. Callan and Zoe stared her down, suspiciously. I was suspicious as well, but we were still short of three crew members. You'd be giving up everything. She laughed. I'm only the second sergeant. The first was badly sick today. No, I'd rather serve an honorable man, even one disgraced by that which he created. I decided to trust her. You may. Just know it's going to cost you everything you have. I looked down the main street. Dozens of troops rushed forward. I looked at the sky. Earhart ships were turning towards us. The engines of the Skyheart grew louder. With one last glance at the city, I walked into the Skyheart. Well owned by Callan, Zoe, the second sergeant, and Liam. Prepare to make a run. The gangplank was shoved back onto the dock and the door shut behind us. I quickly walked through the rest of the cargo hold and into the galley. I slid down into the gondola. Reed was already there. The wireless telegram was going mad with messages. Valves, please, Reed. I stepped up to the helm. With one motion, I slammed the throttle to full. The skyheart leapt forward, instantly snapping all restraints. We shot across the sky. I turned the skyheart. We were now heading almost directly south, heading straight for the Atlantic.
leaving Olympus and Earhart behind. I looked around us, the other Earhart ships that had turned to face us, and were making chase. Of the ones coming, only half were capable of reaching a greater speed than my ship. Of those, none could keep that speed longer. We flew, first over the massive island that Olympus sat off of. When the Atlantic was in sight, the last of our pursuers had turned around. Soon the last bit of land had faded behind us, and the signals had died. We were alone now, no more help from Earhart or the nation. We had no hints of where to hunt the Six or the Black Hand next. Nowhere to go. Liam slid into the cockpit. So is that it? I sighed. They all turned back. I had a crew of the best misfits who had ever lived. Some of them had given up everything to be here on my crusade. So, now we're captain, asked Liam. The clouds had faded, and now I looked at the infinite blue and the sun's reflection. I thought about what we had done, what there was still left to do. We head south. Then, we chase the sunrise. Epilogue Maxwell Illing February 1st, 2091 I stood outside the commander's office. There were only two outcomes for me. Either I was going to die the moment I stepped in, or become the most powerful man in the world. With a final deep breath, I pushed open the door. The man sitting on the throne stood to his feet. He wore long black robes, and one of his eyes was burned out. The throne he sat on was made of bones. Illings. I swept off my hat and put it to my heart, bowing slightly. Commander, it is a pleasure to make your acquaintance yet again. He walked down from the raised dais. I wish I could say the same. Yet after Darkhold and the incident that sent you there, you dare come before me today. I smiled. I wasn't dead. Now I knew how this was going to end. Yes, I dare. Especially after your recent failures. He looked just as shocked as he was angry. I can kill you for this. I looked past him. With what authority? He sounded angrier than ever. I am the supreme commander of the Black Hand with the full support of the Six. I knelt to the ground as the door opened. This is a private meeting. He turned around, and all of his clout instantly died. One hour ago I had landed in Sanctuary. A terrified guard had practically dragged me into a pitch-black room. I had known I was going to be executed for losing the Darkhold, but instead a horrifying, inhuman voice had spoken to me. It said it was pleased with me that I was going to be the new commander at this meeting. Then something unearthly strong had thrown me out of the room. Now I was looking at what had spoken to me. It was the darkness itself. It was almost indescribable. Well over ten feet tall. It had a humanoid shape, but everything was too long and skinny. It looked like it was made out of millions of ants, all crawling together to make this abomination of a human form. Where the eyes should be 
were simply two dark blobs that didn't move. It walked into the room, but even that wasn't right. Its legs moved forward, but its feet never left the ground. The commander stumbled backwards, falling to his back. No, my lord. The thing stopped moving. All of it stopped moving. And it spoke. Although it didn't speak, it just shook. I felt the air vibrate. You lost the battle of the northern town. It was stretching, echoing, and horribly low-pitched all at the same time. It made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. My lord, there was nothing I could have done. The thing slid even closer. Your arrogance will soon lose our largest North American base. The commander tried to get to his feet, but failed. I... I... He was blubbering. You lost Cerberus. The thing didn't move. Its arms just extended and grew. It grabbed him and lifted the commander into the air. The commander screamed once, then started shaking. I jumped to my feet. Then he started bleeding. His eyes, his skin, everywhere. The robes were soaked with his own blood instantly. He kept shaking. His veins turned black. Then the black disappeared, and the empty, shriveled husk dropped into the pool of blood. Then it turned to face me. I couldn't move. This thing was horrific. Fear took over my entire body. You are no puppet, Maxwell. You have your own agency. You are the commander now, Max. Well. Then it turned, without moving its legs, and walked, glided out of the room. It turned into something utterly inhuman, far down the hallway, and disappeared. God help us. I looked at the body. Was helping the devil worth this? The answer came to me immediately. Yes, my family's safety and happiness was worth any means, or the ends that resulted. So, if this was what had to be done, I would be willing to do it. Guards! A half dozen came running in immediately. Clean up this mess and summon the generals. We have work to do. And get this thrown out of here. It's not my style. The guards busied themselves, and I walked to the high windows. I would get to visit my wife and kids today. It had been too long. The banishment had been so tiresome. But now it's a new age. I looked to see the sprawling city of Sanctuary beneath me. This has been Skyheart by S.W. Kruger. Read to you by also S.W. Kruger. The music you heard at the beginning and now here at the end, that was also made by S.W. Kruger. This production was produced by Sky Industry, www.skyindustry.net, where currently Skyheart in the print version and Sunrise, the sequel to Skyheart, are currently available. I would like to thank my father for helping me edit this book quite extensively. It would not be nearly as polished as it was without him, which is kind of hard to imagine considering it's not overly polished right now. This has been an incredibly enjoyable process to do, and I feel like it's really helped me improve my voice acting 
abilities and especially my recording abilities. But the person I feel like I should thank the most is you, because honestly I wouldn't listen to 9 hours of me talking, so the fact that you did is incredible. And if you are a family member or somebody that's related to me or a friend, um, never, never talk about this to me. Never. I just, nope, 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 not a conversation I will ever have with you. But if you are not related to me, I would love to hear your opinions, your thoughts, your feedback. I would also like to thank you again. Just thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sitting through this. Well, without further ado, I guess we should close it out here then. So, as always, good night, good luck, and don't get lost. Mm -hmm.